So, uh, so the book of Ruth, faithfulness, loyalty, qualities that we value and that we admire. But what is a practical picture of these qualities and what do they mean for our walk with the Lord? We have an interesting story in the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth starts out with a little um, introduction. It talks about uh, a man named Elimelech and his wife and his sons fleeing from Judea because there was a famine. Now, you know, in this country, we may have a famine of many things, but we don't often have a famine of food. We're a little bit overloaded with food. Um, and uh, so we, we may not know this by experience, but, some, but a famine was an incredibly serious thing, and people would travel long distances to get away from a famine-wracked uh, zone to some place that would have food so that they could survive. So they went down to the country of Moab, which was an enemy of Israel, but they went there to find food. Sometimes you get desperate when you're in need. Elimelech takes his family there, and we see in short order that poor Elimelech dies while he is there. And not only that, but Naomi has her two sons, and they get married, and everything seems like it's going to be okay, and then both of her sons die. And now she's left on her own with two daughters-in-law in the country of Moab, away from her kin, not knowing how she's going to survive. Now, ladies, let me just tell you, this day and age is a much better day and age for you to live in than then. Yes, amen. You know, see, back then, if you didn't have a husband or at least a son to connect with and, and have them take care of you, you could be in a very desperate situation. And this is what Naomi's situation was. Have you ever wondered why so much through the, the prophets in the Old Testament it says, take care of the orphan and the widow? You know, it's, it doesn't have as much weight for us today, even though there, there, there's still a need there. But basically that was saying, don't just leave the orphan and the widow stranded on their own to die. And they would if they did not receive help. Naomi and her daughters-in-law were in a dire situation. And ladies, let me ask you, what would you do if you were in this situation? Where would you go? Would you just try to stay there and tough it out? Or would you go somewhere familiar, maybe closer to some family members, maybe even if they were distant? Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I would. Uh, you know, if it, I'm, I'm just, I'm just being serious. If, if that happened to me, even being a guy, I would want to move closer to family for support. And so Naomi takes her daughters-in-law and they start walking back toward Judea. Let's see, Naomi has a heart and she's thinking about the future of her daughters-in-law. And especially in that time period, the daughters-in-law, when they didn't have any other son to marry, they were basically resigned to the fate of the widow, probably dying from starvation, no shelter, it was a very bad situation to be in. And so she turns to her daughters-in-law and says, just don't worry about coming back with me. Just let me face my own fate. Come on, really, what do I have to give you? 
Am I going to have any more sons? I'm an, I'm an old woman. I'm not going to have any more sons. And even if I was going to have a son, would you wait until they got old enough to, to be of age so that you can marry them? And that's what they would do, by the way. So, ladies, you know, if you don't like your husband's brother, then you're lucky that you didn't live back then. Because if your husband died, you were going to have to marry your husband's brother. But she didn't have anything to give these women. And she tells them, go back. They argue a little bit, but... Something happens. A choice is made. One daughter decides to turn back, and the other decides to stick with her mother-in-law. Now, if you look at the situation, which one was the smarter one? Come on, let's be honest. Say a name. Now, don't be all nice and, and proper, okay? You know, I'm going to say the spiritual thing. Don't, don't, know. Say what you think is the smartest thing. Who's smart? Okay, you say Ruth. God bless you. You okay? Who you know? Who, who thinks it's the smartest thing? If you're if you are in a situation, no husband, no father-in-law, just a widow mother-in-law, and you're heading to a country that you don't even know, what is the smarter thing to keep with this lady or to go back to your your family's house? I mean, duh. You know, come on. I mean, that's obviously this, the smartest thing to, to take care of yourself, right? It's the smartest thing to, to bring security. I mean, look, why would you go away from your family? And why would you forsake everything you've ever known to go to in a completely uncertain situation when you could just go right back to your parents' home and be okay and find another husband? They were still young enough. So Orpa was... It looks like the smartest one of the two. But it says Ruth clung to her, clung to Naomi. And and, and Rachel read the scripture reading from the book of her mom's namesake. And Ruth says, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge your People shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you from me. That last part, that little oath, it's a weird thing that they say in the Old Testament. Basically, it, uh, she's saying, the Lord do some pretty bad stuff to me, or kill me, if I don't do this. Right, so it's a it's a big oath. It's a it's a promise more than the promises we make. It's a serious one. It's it's with the expectation that the Lord's going to actually do it. So you better say it when you really mean it. And so Ruth does the stupid thing, and she goes with her widowed mother-in-law to a land she doesn't know, with no prospect of any survival whatsoever. At least it seems like it's the stupid thing. And at this point in the story, it really does seem like a bad idea. But why does she go with Naomi? And that's not a rhetorical question. If you have a thought, please shout it out. Yes! She felt the moving of the Holy Spirit. There was something there besides, you know, security, besides uh, going to a place that she didn't know. There was something besides the desire to have another husband. There was something besides the desire to bear children and have a nice family. 
there was something besides all of the normal stuff that we normally value in this life. Yes. She loved her. Thank you. You know what? Some of you are wearing red today. Now, I'm just going to say it's not a coincidence that I'm wearing red. I have a wife that is a very festive wife, and she likes to dress according to the proper season and holiday. And so you'll see that, uh, that I will often do the same because I'm a good husband, right? Well, you see, this is a season, whether you like it or not, it's a holiday that emphasizes love. Some people don't like Valentine's Day, and that's okay. You don't have to like it. Uh, but whether you like it or not, it's the season that everyone's reminded that you should show love to those whom are in your family, your spouse, your children, all that, especially romantic love, right? Oh, yes, Valentine's Day is is the time when people go for moonlit walks and go have dinners at fancy restaurants and at candlelight and where uh, promises are exchanged and sometimes um, engagement ring is given and all sorts of things of that nature. Oh, it's a time of romantic love, right? It's a time that, uh, that a lot of people love. And I remember being in college and every year... Up until I met Summer, when there was a Valentine's Day banquet, man, I didn't go to that thing. I had nobody to go with, right? Oh, don't, you know, feel bad for me, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, my, my roommate would come back, oh, hey, buddy boy, that was a great time, you know. And I would say, oh, I'm glad. I've been working on homework the whole time. Uh, I'm glad you had a good time. But, uh, you know, it's the time when everybody loves to have some kind of re- romantic thing going on. But, you know, sometimes what we feel as romantic love doesn't always last in its intensity. Um, You know, those of you who have been married a few more years than some of us uh, young folk, um, you would probably tell us that it takes more than fancy feelings and moonlit walks and nice dinners at fancy restaurants to have been married as long as you've been married. Sometimes you have to realize at some point that love has to take a deeper route, not excluding the former. But there's something about love that's not just about fancy feelings and I love you's and um, you know, all of the, uh, all of the romantic stuff that Hollywood likes to play up. Not excluding it, but love has to take a deeper route sometimes. And Ruth saw something in her relationship with Naomi. And she realized, I love this woman. Not romantically. But she had a love for Naomi that was stronger than the desire for security. Stronger than the desire for food, a husband, children, shelter, all of these things. A status in society. Her love was stronger than just about every smart thing we would say we should do for ourselves. Would you forego security in all those areas for love for someone else? People would say you were stupid that you're foolhardy. What's the matter with you? 
but Na- but Ruth decides to stick with Naomi. No possibility, no good chance of survival. And they get back to to Bethlehem. And you know when someone who hasn't been in town for a while, when they come back, there's a buzz, right? Especially in a small town and this was a small town. Okay? And you know, you can kind of you can kind of gather what it's like with church because uh, you know when someone, you know, maybe they've moved away or they'd, they've been going somewhere else for a while and they come back. You know, what does everybody do? Boy, we just haven't seen you in so long. Thanks for just yelling out in the entire church that I haven't been here for a while and bringing, bringing all this attention on me. Thank you. I appreciate it. You know, and someone else comes. My goodness. You know, everybody, have you seen so-and-so's back? And the person standing there, redder than my shirt, (laughs) enduring this uh, embarrassment, unless they're a very extroverted person, but this is what was happening. Guys, ladies, Naomi's back, look. Oh, she ain't got her husband no more. Mm -mm. Where, Where are her sons? Man. She must have had a difficult time. And they're, they're like, hi, hi, Naomi. And Naomi's just like, I know what y'all are thinking about. Hush up. Don't even call me Naomi. Now, Naomi, Naomi means, uh, means something actually interesting. The name me, Naomi means pleasant. And she says, don't call me Naomi because my life's not a pleasant life. Yes. Call me in, in the Hebrew, it sounds like Mara. Call me Mara. It means bitter. Because uh, the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. Actually, it's the Almighty, she says. And that word Almighty comes from the, the name for God, El Shaddai. And I won't say what that means um, <clears throat> exactly because it's kind of weird. Uh, you can look it up yourself. Um, <laughs> but uh, it really translates to the provider. And she's basically saying the provider has been very bitter to me. Does she sound like a person who's still grieving? I think so. And she feels like the Lord has turned on her and has come against her and has dealt her a bitter blow. Sometimes, friends, I don't... I know you haven't done this, but sometimes when something bad happens to us, we really have a hard time not feeling like it's God who has directly struck us. Sometimes when bad things happen, we feel like, well, the Lord must be punishing me. He must, he must hate me. He must just not love me anymore. He's left me, and so I'm suffering. Because why would a loving God allow X, Y, and Z to happen? It's not uh, a strange struggle to have. But you, it's interesting. Let you know, remember what I told you about the Lord being at least one step ahead of us? So much in the story of Ruth, you see where God was just ahead of Ruth and Naomi. And even when they felt like they had no possibility of hope, God was preparing the hope that they would need. The story turns. There is a relative of Naomi's. His name was Boaz. And he was a rich man. And it just so happened that Ruth, she was going out to glean in the fields. And now what poor people would do then is they would go during the harvest time and they would say to the master of the field, excuse me, can I please 
follow the reapers and what falls on the ground, the little pieces here and there. Can I pick it up so that I can have food to eat? And usually the master of the field, if they had any heart whatsoever, they'd say, yeah, okay. And so there would be these various people who were needy, you know, going through the field all day, picking up off the ground the little pieces that fell from what the reapers were doing. And Ruth just so happens to come into the field of Boaz. And she works and works and works. And then Boaz comes in. And I don't, you know, there were more than just, there's more than just Ruth there. But Boaz comes to the field and sees the workers. And he looks and he says, my goodness, gentlemen, can you please tell me who this young woman is? You know, there were, like I said, there were, there was more than just Ruth there, right? And so he looks at Ruth and he says, who is this young woman? Well, Sir, she's been working all day, just uh, barely any, any rest, but she's the widow of Naomi's son, the Moabitess. And she asked if she could glean in our field. And so Boaz goes over and breaks a little cultural barrier and talks directly to this young woman and says, Now listen to me. Do not go to another field. Stay close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reaped. Go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? He went around and he said, listen, if any of y'all touch this woman, I swear I will take you to task. Right? He goes and he tells them, don't do it. Have I commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. And he says, so they're not going to touch you, but you can drink the water that they draw. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Um, You know, it's really interesting. This was incredibly generous, so generous that she falls on her face. And she says, why have you been so so generous to me. How have I taken notice in your eyes? I'm even a foreigner. And you know, some of the laws that God had given said that a Moabite or in some of the other nations surrounding Israel were not to come into the camp of Israel. I believe it was even to the fourth generation, the third or fourth generation. And so Boaz is showing kindness, even against what the culture would say. And what is Boaz's answer? It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. See, word gets around town, right? Gets around town pretty fast. And Boaz acknowledges all that Ruth has given up to take care of her mother-in-law. You know, it seemed like the stupid thing to not go back with Orpah. It seemed like the thing that was foolhardy, the thing that you would do if you just couldn't really think straight. And, and, but the fact that she sacrificed and she decided to stick with her mother-in-law brought about this great mercy. You know, I read a quote from uh, President Woodrow Wilson that said, true loyalty is not really loyalty except with sacrifice. True loyalty isn't really loyalty without sacrifice. Ruth was loyal to Naomi 
and she sacrificed her life to take care of her. And so, as the story goes on, she gleans and she, you know, it gets taken care of. And Boaz tells the guys, he's like, listen, just drop a little extra for her to pick up. Why isn't, yeah, oh, isn't that sweet? That is so sweet. It just, just intentionally drops some so that she'll have even more to pick up. And so she's getting this pretty good haul from, from uh, gleaning in the field. And she goes back to her mother-in-law and she says, and, and she, she's like, look at all I got. And Naomi says, well, where did you go? Well, I just went to the field of Boaz, and, and she, she tells him the story, and Naomi says, hallelujah! That's basically what it was. It, it's a little bit more, you know, uh, spelled out here. Blessed be the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And, he, and she says, this guy is one of our close relatives. And now, something to know about that culture, if there were no... Uh, uh, brothers to the husband that died to marry the wife that was now widowed, then there was kind of this succession of closeness uh, in relation. So it would go to your extended family. And so the guy who was next close, closest to, uh, to the guy who was supposed to take care of this matter would be the one who was supposed to help redeem um, uh, the, the people, the widow, and then it would go on in, in a line. And so and so Naomi says, basically, in, in a sense, there's hope. This man is a close relative of ours. And so then it happened that Naomi says, tonight's the night. You're going to go after this man. No, 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 not, not like that. No. <laughs> Maybe not quite like that. But she says, tonight's the night. Am I not seeking security for you, Ruth? Here's what you need to do. Fix yourself up real pretty. Well, fix yourself up real pretty. Put on your best garment and go out to the field where Boaz is. And now they were, they were making merry. You know, they were, we got so much grain. You know, I don't know how those, how those parties were, but it was something, you know, we've got so much grain and they're drinking probably, you know, non-alcoholic wine, of course. And, um, and so, you know, but somehow they kind of, Got a little bit happy. It says that when Boaz is, uh, how does it put it? <laughs> when his heart, uh, something was made glad. I'm, I'm, I'm not finding it in, in here right now. But when his heart was made glad, you know, and he was feeling pretty good about life, he went and he laid down on the heap of grain. And this was not just, you know, don't think of him as just a, a drunk man that is lying in the gutter. Um, he was supposed to sleep there because that was to stop people from coming in and, and taking the grain, right? Supposed to stop thieves. And so Naomi says, go down there, wait until he's fallen asleep, and this is what you need to do. And so Ruth goes out and she sneaks up on this man. This seems really awkward. She sneaks up on this man and she uncovers his feet and then lies down at his feet and waits. <laughs> she waits. Now, some people try to make this uh, scandalous event, all right? Uh, this was not scandalous, at least in the term that we would think of it today. This was not scandalous today. It might have been a little bit, wow, a little bit uh, um, pushy there in their day. But she, she uncovers his feet and lies down and waits. And then in the middle of the night, probably because his feet was, were cold, I don't know, he startles. And he looks, and there's this beautiful woman lying at his feet. And he says, 
who are you? You know, I mean, I don't know what you would do, guys, if you woke up in the middle of the night. Amen. You'd say, amen. <laughs> Lord, you answered my prayer. It's taken a while. But Lord, you've answered my prayer. Thank you. And so he says, who are you? And she says, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. You know, remember what Boaz said. He said, you know, blessed, uh, may you be blessed, and the Lord repay you a full reward um, uh, under whose wings you have come for refuge. And she comes to him and she says, Boaz, I need you to kind of be the, the Lord's wings for me. I need you to spread your wings over me and take care of me. And now, uh, you know, this, this isn't super romantic, guys. I mean, basically this is saying, hey, look, you know, I need somebody to take care of me. And, you know, you know Naomi's over there like, I don't know how we're going to survive. And so we kind of need some help. Uh, you know, that, that most, most guys today would say, listen, honey, <laughs> I'm not going to just, just marry you so you can have somebody to support you. You just want my money, don't you? Um, <laughs> but, uh, but what does he say? He says, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter. He's like, you've shown more kindness at the beginning, at the end than the beginning, and that you did not go after young men, whether they were poor or rich. Now, you get the idea that Boaz is a little bit older than Ruth. Um, and he says, don't fear. Don't fear. I will do for you all that you request. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now, I want to tell you a little something. This is cool. You know that word virtuous there? It's also used to describe the woman uh, in Proverbs 31. Now, don't get a complex, ladies. So often ladies are like, oh, the Proverbs 31 woman. You mean the woman that none of us can be like, you know, and it's kind of a stressful thing. Well, uh, you know, don't stress out about it. But this word uh, virtuous, actually, it, you know, obviously it can mean virtuous, but I want to tell you some other connotations it has. See, often this word is used to describe actually men and their strength and valor, often in battle. And so this word basically is giving Ruth an honor that is not often given to a lady in that time. Basically, he says, you are as valiant as a strong man in battle. You are to be honored as one of those men who have gone out to battle to protect those that they love. This is an interesting word. And by seeing this here, you should know that this is a big deal. He says, everybody knows. It's not just a few people that say, you know, she's a pretty cool lady. No, everyone knows this lady, Ruth, is just as good as a valiant man in battle. She is awesome. She should be honored. And Boaz says, but there's a little little hiccup. There's a little hiccup. See, there's a guy that's a little bit closer than I am. I'm the second guy in line. Oh, you know, the love story is getting ruined here. Um, this, this is the makings of like a Hallmark movie or something, guys. Um, this, you know, so, so, the, so he says, this, I'm not the closest, but I'm going to deal with it. Just lie down, sleep, and I'm going to take care of it tomorrow. And he does. He does, he goes and he gets the whole official uh, board of elders together. Uh, basically how they did business, and this is going to drive some of you mad who are very, you know, documented and like to have things stamped and, 
and sealed and all of that. Basically how they did business is they said, you know, hey, so-and-so, come over here. Yep, you too. All right, all right. So we got 10 people. Okay, all right, sit down at the gate. And, uh, and they sat down in there and they did their business. And how everyone would remember what the business was is the, uh, the elder guys of the town would say, yep, that's what happened. So you better hope no one gets Alzheimer's <clears throat> because it's based on their memory. Now it's going to drive some of you crazy, but that's how they did it, okay? It's based on, on their memory of things, and, 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 you know, I guess they would pick the guys who have the best memory, but they go, and Boaz gets the guys together, and he sits down, and he waits for this closer relative. And when you read this in the Hebrew language, it is really hilarious, because it says here, come aside, friend, and sit down. But actually, that's not the word friend. What it says is, come aside, so-and-so. That's what it says. Come aside, so-and-so, and sit down. And then it calls him the relative, close relative, or redeemer in some, in some instances. Do you want to know why it doesn't give his name? It's not because it's, uh, it's you know, people just forgot. Um, it's, they're not giving his name. Because, well, and you'll find out at the end of the story, it's an incredible dishonor to not be the close relative that redeems Ruth in this story. And they were actually trying to protect his identity when they wrote this story so that his family wouldn't be shamed from then on. Uh, so he comes and he says, so-and-so, uh, sit down here, so-and-so, listen. There's this land and all of this stuff that you need to buy back, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'll do it. I'll buy back the land that, that Elimelech owned, and I'll take all the property and everything. And he says, I did, but yeah, hold on a second. Yeah, there's something else you need to know. When you buy back the land, you also have to take Ruth, the Moabitess, and you have to marry her and raise up children for her dead husband. And he doesn't really miss a beat. He says, no, 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 no. Actually, you know, I think uh, yeah, I kind of misspoke a little bit, you know, when I said I would, I would buy it. Actually, it doesn't really seem like it's going to work out. And, uh, and so, no, you buy it for me. And so, uh, and, and really to understand this, it's hard to understand the culture. But, but if he bought it back, he would have to raise up uh, at least one child for the dead husband. And that field, all that belonged to Naomi's husband, would end up belonging to that son that wouldn't even be counted as his son. And so basically he would be buying all this and having a son, his firstborn son with this woman, and it would not benefit him at all. That's how that whole thing works. And so not a whole lot of guys really wanted to jump at that. Uh, it's not really, I mean, how would you feel, guys, if you had to marry this lady and then your firstborn child wouldn't even really be counted as yours. It would be counted for the dead husband. Not really that great of a deal. But Boaz says, I'll do it. I'm going to do it. And he does the whole process, and he marries Ruth, and he buys the field back, and they have a son. And then the women, they don't go to Ruth and say, wow, Ruth, this is so awesome. Now you have this child. They go to Naomi and they say, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous in Israel. Is it not famous? And may, you be, and may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. 
Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Also, the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, who is the father of David. You've heard of that guy, right? Yeah. You know, little David, play on your heart. We, we sing that all the time. Our only a boy named David, only a little sling. Yeah, we sing that to, to, to Mikhail. Uh, and it says, now this is the genealogy of Perez. What? Where does this come in? Hold on. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon. Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot, wait, Boaz? And Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse. Jesse begot David. Why does that matter? It leads, okay, there are some, there are some different things of why this matters. You know, some of you are like, this is an Old Testament story, Pastor, you're killing me. But no, it's great because, because it leads, David's line leads to the Messiah. Jesus was born from David's line. Not only is it cool because of that, but it's cool because some guy is in that genealogy that's not supposed to be there. Remember, Boaz is supposed to have a child for the dead husband. And that's who, you know, he's supposed to go in his genealogy, even though the blood line doesn't match up. It's, you know, he's supposed to be for this a dead husband. But Boaz's name is listed there as his father, which goes against every cultural norm. And why did it do that? Why did they count Obed as Boaz's son? You want to guess? God's plan? Redemption? He, re- he redeemed them? It says, let's see, in May... Let's see, may he be a restorer of life. Okay. Ah, yes. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative, Boaz, and may his name be famous in Israel. God answered that prayer. See, friends, the story of Ruth tells some really interesting lessons, but if you're going to really boil it down, uh, what I see jumping off the pages to me is to stick with God because he hasn't left you. You see, a lot of times, it doesn't really matter what's happening. You know, maybe if it's really bad, or maybe it's some annoying things that just really get on your nerves, and you're having a hard time in your day. Or maybe, yes, maybe it is a catastrophic event that's happened to you, and you're tempted to say, the Lord's left me. He's forsaken me. He's struck me down in his wrath. And you start thinking, what have I done wrong? We're all the bad things. Lord, I repent, please, you know. Uh, let's see. As a child, when I was three years old, I took a cookie, you know, and you're, and you're starting, you're, you're really, you know, you, you, may, you may get uh, really panicky and, and, and think, you know, why is the Lord allowing this to happen? And the, and the story of Ruth says, Don't, stick with the Lord because he hasn't left you. In all of the story, Naomi, she loses her husband. She loses her two sons. She kind of stuck with the Lord because she had to. And sometimes that's what happens, and that's okay. But she felt like the Lord had struck her down. But she stuck with the Lord. Ruth lost her husband, was now abandoned, it pretty much felt like, to a fate 
that was not so good, but she stuck with the God she had come to love by living with Naomi. Naomi somehow had shown such a great view of the character of God. Ruth said, this is the God I want to worship, not the Moabite God that requires child sacrifice. This is the God I want to worship. And she stuck with the Lord even though even though Naomi was talking as if God had taken their husbands from them. They stuck with God. He had not left them. Boaz put himself in jeopardy financially and sociologically. He put himself in jeopardy to do the right thing. He stuck with God in what he was supposed to do as a man of God. Even though it didn't seem smart, I mean the other the other redeemer, everyone would have everyone at the gate, you know, even though they were happy that Boaz did his duty, they were probably like, Well, it's a good thing Boaz did that, but man, this other guy was he's he's right, man, you know, raising up kids for this Moabite woman and having to give all this inheritance back to this son that's not even gonna be his. That's not smart. That's not gonna be good for him. But Boaz stuck with what the Lord had said he should do, and he was rewarded. He was rewarded by getting a wonderful, virtuous wife, and he was rewarded by the prayer being answered that his name would be famous in Israel. He is listed as Obed's father when he should not be, and he is in the line of the Messiah. What an amazing reward. But at the time, it doesn't seem like that's what's going to happen. At the time, he's doing it, and he's thinking, all right, I'm going to do what I need to do. I'm going to do the right thing. And he's rewarded for it. you got to stick with the Lord because he hasn't left you. you got to stick with what he's asked you to do because you will be rewarded, not because it's, uh, it's a points system, right? It's not a points system, but it's a character system. And when we in our character say, I'm throwing in my life with the Lord and what he has asked me to do, he will take care of you. If you just believe that he has not left you, and if you believe that you can still count on him, he will prove himself faithful. It doesn't mean, like for Naomi's situation, it doesn't mean that her husband wasn't going to die. It doesn't mean that her sons were not going to die. But, it, but even though those things happened, through the midst of it, God showed himself faithful and took care of them. Stick with the Lord. Stick with the Lord, for he has not left you, and he will not leave you. And remember that there's more to love than just the romantic things that we normally hold up on a pedestal on Valentine's Day. You see, sticking with the Lord requires loyalty, and loyalty requires sacrifice. And we see Ruth sticking with Naomi because she loved her and was loyal to her, and she made the sacrifice. Boaz made the sacrifice. Love requires sacrifice. Loyalty requires sacrifice. When you stick with the Lord, it won't always go your way. When you stick with other people, even when it seems like the smart thing is to abandon them, but when you stick with them because you love them, it may seem like the dumb thing. 
and it may require sacrifice, but God is going to take care of you. He's going to bless you. And the most wonderful example of this loving commitment is Jesus' love. Because you know he did not die for you because he had a sweet feeling about you the whole time. He wasn't feeling all romantic when he was sweating great drops of blood on that that ground in Gethsemane. He even asked the Father, he said, Please, if there's any other way, can we do it that way instead of this horrendous suffering? And God says, Nope, it's got to be this way. And Jesus stuck with us, not because of a sweet feeling, but because he was loyal. Loyal to the ones he loved, and love was a principle, not just a feeling. He stuck with us. So can't you stick with him? Can't you stick with him? I pray that you will.